today we, we wrap up this series through the message we last love more. Um, we have been looking what it means to proclaim the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, the work that He's doing in and through our lives more than again, more than what we say, how we live. Um, we have tracked along in the key passage and the second slide here is the passage that's kind of in the foundation of our series that John says, Dear children, let us not love with words of speech, but with actions and in truth. And so we've been painting this picture kind of going through these last few weeks of what it means to live this out. Um, obviously, we are told to proclaim with our mouths um, uh, the good news of what God has done for us, but we, more than what we say, it is how we live our lives out, and is the gospel being presented in how we live. And so today I want to share with you as we finish this series about what God's called us um, to do is to be on mission, living on mission, the title of today's sermon, Living on Mission with Him. We are called to be on mission. Jesus has invited us to be on mission with Him to build His kingdom, to advance His kingdom, to proclaim His kingdom on the earth. We are kingdom people. We are told in Scripture that this earth is actually is not our home. We are sojourners, the Bible says. We are aliens, one not not the not the weird creepy green kind, but we are aliens passing through and it's just that this world is not our home. We have a limited amount of time on the earth, but we will live forever. We will live eternally. And while we are here, just like Christ, when he came and he lived relatively short time, thirty three years upon the earth, and he says, You're gonna have a short time on the earth, you are passing through but what will you do with the time that you have as you are passing through? And so it's really important. And, and as I was preparing this message, I learned the first scripture. It's not up on the screen, but I, I was compelled by the scripture this week in prayer. And, that, and it's in Peter, First Peter, when Peter is talking about kind of he's kind of talking about the end of the, the end of the age, the end of days, and he's saying the pretty heavy things are coming to the earth. And he's painting a picture about the end of the age. And, uh, you know, of course, they were kind of living in some hard times, even as the first century church. They were living under intense persecution. You know, most of the disciples were martyred for their faith. Peter was crucified upside down. And so they were living through some very heavy, hard times. And, and Peter, speaking prophetically, he's talking about the end of the age. And, you know, whether we are right there or not, I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're closer than we've ever been. Like that Captain Obvious, right? Um, we're, we're closer than we were yesterday. Are we right at the end of the age? I, I don't know. There's a lot that could happen before then, or it could begin to happen relatively quickly. What we're called to do is be ready for whatever. We're called to be living lives unto the Lord. That song we sang that, uh, you know, was kind of more of a contemporary version on the old song, Every Hour I Need You. Living every hour that I need You. Every day I need You. Prepared for what is ahead. But, so I'm not getting at the end of the age passage, but something that Peter said, he says this. He says, since then all these things are to happen, basically, what lives should we be living? 
how then should we live? It's a great question. And I was in prayer this week, and just that phrase just kind of began to speak to my heart. And the older I get, you know, you start thinking more about life, and I know, and, 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 and I know some of the older folks who still call me the kid, you know, so that's okay. I'm still kind of young with you guys. But, but I'm getting older, and Tuesday, I think, and I celebrated 25 years of marriage. Um, that clause was completely unprovoked, right? Um, and so you start doing this inventory. You know, we were uh, we were reminiscing the other evening. We went out and we were talking about all the things that we've done in life. And, and in prayer, again, all of these things, what, what kind of lives should you be living? What, how do you want to spend your life? Because it's real easy to think that, you know, it's a way out there and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I've got plenty of time. And, and not in a fearful sense, but we do need to be uh, sober and understand that we're not promised tomorrow and that there is an end to all of us. How do you want to finish the race? What kind of lives do you want to be living in this day and this age? And this whole be the message idea is I, 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 I want to finish with my eyes on Jesus, loving Him, serving Him, giving my heart to Him. And I want that for you. It's easy for us to get caught up in the things of this world. And not to say that sometimes those things are important and we have stresses and we have anxieties and we have the realities of this life. And it's, I understand that. But how do we want to live? How then should we be living? How do you want to finish the race? When you get to the very end, and you look back, and you can say, you know, it's not like I tried to, you know, I wasn't living for this pinnacle perfection, but I lived for Jesus every day. What a way to finish. What a way to finish. Um, I didn't even intend to say this, but I felt like I should, but, um, Sometime back, there's a few guys uh, that read the book, The Resolution for Men, um, about, it's kind of based off the movie Courageous, about making this resolution as a man. Um, in that book, and I was thinking about this the other day, and I was, I was thinking about it in tears about, well, he was chapter two in that book. Obviously, they're calling men to, to be men of God and to be men of courage, you know, loving God, leading your family to love God. And in chapter 2, the, 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 the authors of the book, they do a parable. And the parable basically is, it's the same man, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a real, real person, it's just a character that they paint as a parable to kind of give you this imagery of, of, of what you're doing with your life. And what they do is they give you two sides of the story. They show you this man's life who had a rough upbringing. There was, I think, some abuse there. Um, it's been a while since I read it. But, uh, but anyway, he had a kind of a rough life. Ended up, you know, he was dating a, a high school sweetheart. She got pregnant. Um, he went in the military. But through that, he had opportunities to come to know Christ, and he kept rejecting them and rejecting them and rejecting them. And, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but fast forward, they have him in his 80s at the end of his life. He's in a hotel room by himself, this old, dark, 
yucky hotel room, and he's this old, embittered man dying alone. Cursing and, and so angry and bitter at everyone, and God included, and he's just dying alone in this yucky room. And then they say, it didn't have to end that way. And then they give you the other side. It's the same young man, the same horrible upbringing, but then responds to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and, and gives his life to Christ. Goes in the military, ends up marrying that lady that he, the, the gal he got pregnant. They, he makes it right. He repents to her, and we shouldn't have lived that way. And he begins to raise the family. They have more kids, and he loves Jesus. And they get to the end of his life, and he's in his 80s, and he's laying there in his, in his bed, the hospice bed, and he looks around, and his wife is holding his hand, and he sees his children and his grandchildren with tears in their eyes saying, Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Grandpa, for loving Jesus and leading us to Jesus. And you see this beautiful picture. And then the author of the book says, Which man do you want to be? And I, I couldn't even I couldn't even read them. I just set that book down and I I I I shed tears and, and it struck me in the heart about how do you want to live? How do you want to finish with this? I didn't plan that. Maybe that's what somebody made this for me. Just process it down. Just leave it. Just leave it. How do you want to spend it? Dear children, let us not love the words of truth, but with actions and in truth. We're called to be on mission with Jesus. He has called us. He's empowered us. We are more than just taking up space and oxygen in this life that we live. We are intentionally called by God to do kingdom work. We are kingdom people to be in His kingdom, to advance His kingdom. Now, I understand that there are specific roles for each of us to play in the body of Christ, but we are all called. There's different gifts and ministries that God puts into us, but what I'm talking about is that we all have the same call to build and advance the kingdom. And this idea of loving and being the message is a, is a calling for all of us. It's not just the constant, sorry. In fact, if you read Ephesians 4, we do have a role, but we kind of get off the hook. He said the leaders are to equip the people to do the ministry. But we're all called to ministry. So... In the next few minutes, um, we're going to take a look at an Old Testament story, a part of an Old Testament story that I speaks to us right where we're at today. And this idea of being the message is going to challenge us, it's going to encourage us, and it will confront us to be activated on mission of God and His kingdom. It's the story of God calling Moses to be the leader to lead the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery. And so we're going to look at a part of that, his calling, and when God called him. In this real Old Testament story, you're going to find truth and principles that speak to us. And I love the people in the Bible because it's not perfect people. It's people that are broken like you and me. Average, ordinary people that God says, I'm calling you to be this. And they become our heroes in the faith. But if you look at Moses, we're going to look at some of the things that Moses said. Moses... 
to look at some of the excuses he made of why he couldn't do what God called him to do. A little backstory. Um, Israel ended up in Egypt in bondage. They weren't in bondage first. I mean, the, 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 the original story is there was a famine in the land. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, and, and, and he was actually sold into slavery, and he ended up in Egypt and became second in command. Then Israel came in there, and, and God saved Israel through the famine, through saving uh, Joseph. And so years go by, Israel and the Hebrew people are growing in number. And then there's a, later on, there is a new pharaoh on the throne who doesn't remember Joseph, and he doesn't like the Israelites. And so he begins to make them slaves. And, and so they end up in bondage. And in fact, he sets this plan in the place that he's despising the, uh, the Hebrew people so much that he devises this plan to have all these kids, the baby boys to an under kill. Thank God for the Egyptian midwives that begin to save lives. Well, one of those boys, two and under, was a boy named Moses. And his mother hid him. She put him in this basket, took him down the river. And of all things, you know, God, God sovereignly takes care of him. And Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Of all, you know, it's a God thing. God saving him. She raises him. After all, he becomes his prince in Egypt. But then, a series of things he realizes that he's a hero. One day he confronts an Egyptian taskmaster and says, Why are you mistreating this Hebrew slave? And he confronts him to the point where it gets physical and he kills the guy. Well, then it's found out that he kills the guy. He gets fearful. He flees into the wilderness. He ends up in Midian for 40 years. And he says that he's going to shepherd. He flees and kind of goes over there. And then God speaks to him. In the meantime, you know, Israel is in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And so then God calls him and says, I want you to go back and I want you to lead the people out of there. So we're going to look at that little back story. So through this, through his story, God's calling him, preparing him to do what he's calling him to do. Um, and, and in fact, if you look at his life, again, nothing was wasted. God was using everything to prepare him. And let that be encouraged. Nothing in your life is wasted. God can use the broken, the hurt, the pain of your past to make you a wounded healer to do great things for this kingdom. Nothing is wasted when you belong to God. So how to live on mission, looking at this story, how to live on, li- on mission, let's uh, look at number one. Number one is embrace God's call in mission. I know that sounds like a hello, but sometimes we reject it. Sometimes we... We, you know, we, we push it aside, and, 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 and God's calls to embrace the mission in which he's called us to do. Let's look at the call of Moses. So Moses is kind of minding his business. He's in the wilderness. He's a shepherd. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Korah, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him and flamed the fire from within a bush. That would give your attention very quickly. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Wow, let's go check that out. Um, Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said, Take off your sandals for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this, at this moment, hit his face because he was afraid to go to God. Verse 7. 
The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and all of the other ites. And now the tribe of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's a lot there, um, and I'm going to really cue in on verses 7 through 10, so I'm going to leave that up there. But as Moses can call, so do we. Um, interesting in the story that we have foreshadowing, we have ties, we have symbols that point us to the good news of Jesus. If you look through the Bible, all throughout Scripture, even thousands of years before Jesus came, you will see types and shadows of the gospel everywhere. Because when man sinned, God's plan of redemption and salvation was put into place. It did not come to fulfillment until Christ came, but God still has planned redemption as well. And so in some of these Old Testament stories, if you look closely, you will see redemption and the gospel kind of pop out. So verses 7 through 10 actually are that they reveal the good news and our calling. The Lord says this in verse 7, you can look up there, I have seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out because of their slavery, because of their suffering. You need to know that God sees you and he hears you and he sees the misery of his people. Sin brings misery. Sin brings slavery. James says, he who sins is a slave to sin. But here's the thing, God does something about it. Look at what it says. He said, I've heard the misery of my people and so I'm going to do something about it. I see sinfulness. I'm not going to just stand back. And God did judge the world at one time. He said, I won't do it like that again. The whole Noah thing and the earth is flooded. We saved Noah and two people. And we were giving I won't judge it like that. But I've seen sinfulness. I've seen misery. And I've seen bondage. And I've seen what can happen. Uh, the fruits of sin that end, lead to slavery. But I'm not going to just, from up above, I'm not going to just judge it. I'm going to do something about it. And here's where you have the gospel. So I've, I have come down to rescue them. Isn't that cool? I have come down to rescue them. And then ultimately, he said, to take them to the, the land I have promised. That's salvation. We are sinners. We are born in sin. We are broken people that need Jesus Christ as a, as a Savior. And God saw us in our sin, and all of sin has fallen short of the glory of God, but God did something about it. He sent Jesus down to take us from slavery of sin into the land that He has called us to live, a, a, a land basically not a geographical place, but a land, of, a place in our heart of peace, of true joy, of true contentment, of true love like we've never known before. And just like the Israelites in Egypt, there's a foreshadowing of the gospel that God did something about and He said, I will come down. I will do something about it. I've seen the misery of So the interesting in verse 10, though, let's kind of look at verse 10 here. All right, God just said, I'm going to come down. He had just said, I've come down to rescue them. Now he says, so now you go. Isn't that funny? If you look at that, 
I've seen misery. I've seen something. And I'm going to come down and rescue you. So now, Moses, you go. Moses could be saying, didn't you just say, which would probably not be right to debate with God. He did debate with God. We're going to get into that. But he could have said, I thought you were coming to do something about it. Oh, I am, but you have a part too. And just like him sending Christ when Jesus came to rescue us, he's saying about it that morning, love came down to rescue us. He says, I've come down, and now I'm calling you to go. And so he says, I've come down to rescue, but now I'm sending you, Moses, to go and talk and to bring my people out. And this has all these kind of the shadows of pointing us to Matthew 28. Remember the Great Commission where Jesus has risen from the dead and he's leaving and he's going up and he says, Now you go. He's telling those people that you go and make disciples of all nations. And it wasn't just their calling, it's our calling. You go and make disciples of all nations. And But he says, you know, because Jesus came, many times he said, But I'm going to send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's coming to empower you, but you're going to go too. The same mission that I have, you will partner with me in mission to do it. I'm going, Spirit's coming, and you're going to go out in power. We still proclaim the message of the gospel. So we have a calling. You go. Let's look at what Jesus said about our calling. Next, next slide. Three passages here. John 4, 35. Jesus just gets in ministering to this lady, um, this woman at the well, and the whole town becomes believers through this. And he's saying to his disciples, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field, they are ripe for harvest. And Jesus is talking about souls, lives, people. Matthew 9, 36 38, when they saw the crowds, he had compassion them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Who are the workers? You and me. This is Jesus, this mission, our calling. And then after this moment with Zacchaeus, he wins this tax collector to salvation. He says, the Son of Man, Father, came to seek and save the lost. And that's our, our mission, too, is to bring people to Christ. The harvest of people, and He's calling us to And so we need to embrace our calling and our mission. It's about transforming lives by the power of Jesus. This is the mission, it's the calling of the church. Don't forget why we are here as the church. Don't forget that this life is temporary. Don't forget that one day you will stand before God. This is all temporary. If we really believe that one day we would stand and look at Christ face to face, how would that cause us to live today? Do we really believe it? But we are called to join Jesus in saving the lost, reaching the lost, serving the lost, building and advancing His kingdom. So number one, is our, uh, it's, it's knowing, um, embracing our mission and our call. Number two is this. How to live on mission? Don't make excuses. Moses had tons of excuses. God called him, and he would think in that moment, here's God speaking to him audibly, giving him this burning bush. I mean, it's a pretty dramatic thing that's going on. You would think that he would just go, whatever you want to do. But you know what? He's a person like you and me. 
And immediately he begins to ask questions and he begins to make excuses of why he can't do what God's called him to do. If we're not careful, we can justify not being activated in mission by the excuses that we can make. So let's look at some of the excuses Moses used on that. Actually, have two more excuses that Moses didn't use, but I think are legitimate for where we're at. Okay, excuse number one. I have too many faults. What did he say? Exodus 410. Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm, I'm just trying to get bigger. I'm clumsy with my words. I mean, I, I've, I've got faults. I, I don't speak well. I, you know, some people have thought maybe he had a stuttering issue. I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if it was that or if he was just bad with his words. You know, he just didn't have the right thing to say at the right time. Maybe he's like, when I get in front of people, I just kind of shut down. I don't know what to do. But he's, he's making this excuse about ultimately his faults. I have too many faults. Clumsy with my words. I can't do it. I have this issue in my life. I have problems. Um, I'm limited, God. And sometimes our, our biggest excuse lies with our past. The enemy wants to come with shame and condemnation and have you ruled by your past, maybe bad decisions of the past that you could never be used by God. You're glad you're saved, but then it's like, well, I, I couldn't do it because of my past. Our sins, our brokenness, our shame, our guilt, and we allow our shortcomings to come to keep us from being who God wants us to be. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the different roles that are listed in Scripture, like, you know, preaching and teaching. Some people have a calling to be preachers and teachers. Some people have a calling to serve. And, you know, there, there are the specific roles in the church, but we are all called to be on mission to advance the kingdom. And I know that there's some people that go, well, I couldn't preach. Well, you, your calling may not be to preach. That's okay. But what is God calling you to do? And so we make this excuse that we can't do it because of our past, our shortcomings, our failures. But God has called us to love people, to serve people. And so what was God's response to Moses? He said, who gave men their mouths? I will be with you. That's what he said. Who gave them their mouth? I will be with you. In other words, your excuses, you right, off, right out of the gate, your excuses are actually frightful because you're eliminating me from the equation. I will be with you. And that's why in Jesus' encouragement to us in Matthew 28a, that's what he said. Remember, he's going up and he says, going to all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. But then what does he say? I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Do not ever make excuses that you can't do it. Number one, I'm going to send the Spirit to you, power to do it. But I'm, through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be with you. And so as you go out and about in your day, do not be dictated. Do not make the excuse where I, I'm just not, I can't. You, when you eliminate God from the equation, sure you can. But he said he would be with us always to know that he is right there with you. Whether I feel him or not, you know, sometimes it's great to have a feeling and he'll give us a feeling, but sometimes we don't have the feeling, but just knowing Jesus, you said he would be with me. Therefore, I can do it. I don't have to be dictated by my past days, my sins, my issues. That's not who I am anymore. And if you've surrendered your life to Christ and you've repented of those things, you know, 
there is there is conviction there, I think, but if you repented from those things and you surrender your your life to Christ, your sins are washed away and they are far removed as far as the east is from the west. You do not have to be defined by them any longer. Excuse number two. What will people think? It's the fear of men. Exodus 4.1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to, to me and, and, and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So here again, he had this dramatic problem. Now he's debating God. Sidebar, you're not going to win. You don't have a chance. You can try. You don't have a chance to debate against God. But he's crying, and he's like, you know, what will, what will people think? And what if the people say they don't listen to me, and they say the Lord did not appear to you? And I'm not saying it's wrong to care about what people think at times, you know, but what within reason. But we're not to be ruled by it. That's not an excuse to be religiously rude. I'm just not going to have a fear of man, so I'm just going to, you know, verbally assault you and shoot you down. That's not what we, we are told to have our, our, our conversations and seasons with great for people. But we should come to a place where we say, well, if, if, if they don't like me for who I am, I'm okay with that. But we are to remain humble, but we are to be bold. It's, it's boldness with humility, passion without pride. There's a difference. Some people have passion and they're bold and they're just arrogant and religious. And I'm thinking, please stop witnessing people. You're, you're, you're not doing any of us a favor. We can be bold, but we need to walk in humility. And we can be passionate, but we, we need the pride. But we wrestle with the fear of man. If I, you know, my, my life in Christ, what will people think about me at work? And what will people think about me in school? And, or really do what God wants me to do, what will they think about me? What, what, how will this affect my reputation? And many have failed to walk in what God has for them because they are so worried about what other people think of them. When you lose the fear of people, you walk in greater freedom. I'm telling you, it's, it's the truth. It is the truth. You just have to be at peace with God. And some people, uh, Paul said to some, really, when you're walking with Christ, to some of the fragrance in their life, man, what is that smell? And there's something about your life, and it's the other words, a sense of death. We, didn't, we don't get to pick who thinks we think we should think and who thinks we smell good. If you're walking with everybody, the people are rejecting you. How many countries are rejecting the Jesus in you, and it's just something, you know, like, have you ever been around people like that? And it's just like something, I've not been mean to you, I've not done anything, and they just don't like you. I'm like, what have I done? Sometimes it's a conviction that's going on in their own heart, and it, the problem is that they are wrestling with God, and they are rejecting Christ, and, and they, they sense the Spirit of God in you, and so there's a rejection. It's not of you, really, it's a rejection of God, the problem is God. So don't take it personally. That's why we can walk in not being in fear of man. But to get away from the fear of man will give you freedom. Freedom. What if they don't believe me? Don't, 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 don't listen to what I said. And they say the Lord did not appear to you. And God would say, who cares? Just keep doing what I called you to do. Excuse number three. I'm not spiritual enough. You know, 
Uh, you're around some people that, like, they are talking to people and they can, like, whip out 50 verses of scripture, stand at the right moment, the right thing, and you're standing there going, I've never been able to And you feel like, you know, like, uh, I'm just not spiritual enough. You never, and you have those regrets, like, you're in moments where you could have shared something, and afterwards, you could you think about all the things you should have said. We do that in arguments too, like zinger. You know, you, you think of the zinger afterwards. You look at that and use that. And God's saying, "I kept that from you for a reason, because I was not going to go anywhere fast." But sometimes we think about what we wish we would have said, and we're like, "Oh, I just fumbled all over my words. I tripped all over the place. I sounded like a buffoon, and, and it just didn't make any sense." And I don't know what they got out of it. But here's the thing. Just like the first one, when we eliminate the reality that the Spirit of God is in us, do we really believe that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us? And if so, it's not about our words and our speech. Paul said it's not about persuasive speech, but it's about the power of God being manifest through us. And so if you're obedient and you're in the right place right now, it doesn't matter what you say. And I've learned this as a pastor. It's one of the most valuable lessons. I just recently talked to somebody about what God does. Sometimes I'll preach a message, and, I, and I'm broken just like everybody. And, 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 and there's a role that I'm I'll preach a message, and I'll think that flowed pretty well. You know, I felt like it flowed. I felt like it was something that made sense. And you're feeling pretty good. You come up, pastors go through this all the time, where you know you, you get home and you're like, did I just really say that? That's why I say judge everything. God said, you know, you should judge everything by the word of God. And, and, you know, if you, if, you just, if you just buy into everything, you know, you just have to judge it by the word of God and see if it bears witness with your spirit, according to the word. Now, if it offends you, don't just re- reject it. Sometimes God offends us and challenges us. And I'm like, people go, well, is it okay that I don't agree with everything that you say? Sometimes I don't agree with what you say. Like, did I really say that? Um, but I'll, I'll go through this message, you know, and I'll, I'll feel like, yeah, it flowed pretty well. And nobody really says much. I get, I get some some of the people that are always encouraging to me, which is great. Now, hardly anyone will say anything. And then there are some days I get up here and I feel like I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I don't even know what I said. I get home and I'm just discouraged for the next report. And somebody will give me an email and say, that message changed my life. It spoke to me. And I'm like, what were you listening to? And the Holy Spirit always says it's not about you. It's not about your abilities or your inabilities. It's not about you stumbling over your words. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't be prepared to have something to say. But he said, if you'll be obedient, I'll get the glory and I will reveal my power. So when you're in those moments and you feel like I'm just not religious enough, I didn't have the right thing to say at the right time, who cares? God can use you, and the Spirit of God in you can reach and touch that person like you know, and you just simply being there can mean more to them than anything that you could say. So be encouraged. As Moses said, who am I that I could go? And what did God say to Moses? Moses said, who am I? And God said, I am who I am. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at yourself because when you when you start looking at yourself and your abilities or inabilities, that's actually pride at work. Because you're thinking that it rests all on you. 
And again, the excuse removes the Holy Spirit from the equation. The kingdom isn't about us. It's not even about our gifts or our callings, right? We don't put our gifts and our callings on display for people to look at us. It should always point to Jesus. The kingdom's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And that is He's seen in me. That's why in the New Testament, remember, it says the religious people saw Peter and John, and it says that they, they, that they recognized them. They said, these are just ordinary men, and they're walking in such great power and authority. How can this be? They're not even trained like that. What's the deal? And it's because they have submitted their lives to the Holy Spirit and they're walking with Jesus. So Moses says, who am I? And God says, I'll, I'm going to answer you through you. I'm going to tell you who I am. I am who I am. I will be with you. Just surrender to me. So I Paul were told, Paul says, I can do all things through what? Who? Christ who gives me the strength. Peter tells us, no, don't be worried about what to say and when to say it. You just make yourself available, and I'll give you the right words at the right time, or maybe no words at all. But my spirit will be with you. Know who he is. Change your focus. Stop looking inwardly at what you can or can't do. Not spiritual. Change your focus to who he is and the power of the spirit in you. Now, preach it, brother. I don't think I stumbled over those words. That was just stuck. Excuse number four. I'll let someone else do it. God calls him, and then what does Moses say? Lord, please do something. He wants you to do it. It's free. He's not trying to use any kind of other symbol. He says, Lord, don't pick me. I know we just had this morning book experiment, but could, could, you, could you pick someone else? I, I, I've given you every excuse you've got me down so far. And so now he just runs out of like, oh, well, I can't do it, and I don't have that. And then the final, here's the final excuse. Just pick somebody else. If we belong to Jesus, we are called to be active in the mission, vision, and calling of his kingdom in the church. No one's exempt from that. None. No one. As members of the body of Christ, we're called to be active. And I shared about this in Paul. I am a church member. Back in the, the first century church, there was no such thing as an inactive member. And we have that in our bylaws. And some people go, what's an active member or an inactive member? They didn't even have words that you belonged to the Christ, you were active. If you were there, you were to be active. You were to be alive and functioning. Because if authenticity and action go together, there are two sides of the same coin. If your faith is authentic and genuine, then you, it leads you to action. It leads you to be who God's called you to be. It activates the mission. It acts in obedience to the call of God. And so the trouble that we use in the church sometimes is we say, I'll let someone else do it. I'll sit this one out. I'll let someone else serve. But we're all called to serve. There's no exemption from serving. We don't retire from serving. Well, I served and so now I don't serve anymore. When Jesus washed feet and he said, the Son of Man came to serve, and he said, take that mission. When, I, when he washed his feet and he was doing his act of servanthood, he was saying, now you guys go do the same. The calling is being a servant. The calling of my kingdom is being a servant. I came to serve. 
Now you serve. You don't retire from serving. I'll sit someone else. I'll let someone else give. We're called to give of our time, our talents, and our resources. It's a part of just being an active member. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there's your heart. So here's a question for you to challenge you. If everyone gave to the extent that you give, what would the church look like? If everyone gave their time like you give your time, would the church be alive or would it, what would it look like? If everyone gave their resources like you gave your resources, what would the church look like? Because we need everybody. We need everyone participating, functioning. There's a joy in it. We miss out on the blessing of being a part of something greater than ourselves, the kingdom of God we're all called to live in. We don't retire from it. We don't get out of it. We don't get to a certain point and say, oh, I'll no longer do that. We are called to be involved. Hebrews 10 tells us to don't forsake the assembly, coming together, corporate worshiping. We should make that a priority. We should love and serve together. And the cool thing is that it becomes a family and we get to serve together to see the blessings and the miracles of life change and to walk through and to pray for each other, to laugh with one another, and to ultimately advance the kingdom of God together. When you get all in, you know, you're saying, I want to be a part of it. So the last one we'll look at is away from the Moses story. We'll go by quick on these. Excuse number five, I'm too young. It's for our young people that think that, you know, at some point you'll be a part of the church. And Jeremiah is calling his last sovereign Lord. I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, what did the Lord say? Does he like that excuse? No, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you and will rescue you to serve the Lord. Your, your excuse to be too young is invalid. Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for believers who speak with conduct and love and faith and purity. Young people, you have a calling. You are not the church of tomorrow. You are part of the church today. You can make a difference. You are called. You can set an example. Leads me to the last excuse number six. I'm too old. I love Joshua 13. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You're now very old. Don't you love that? He said, Yeah, the Lord says, I understand that. Joshua's well advanced, he's old, and the Lord says, Hey, Joshua, you're old. It's a reality. And then he says something else. He didn't say, you're old. Just take it easy. You know what? You can retire from the kingdom. You can just kind of go and, you know, live in your lake cabin for a time and just fix away and you'll die and come to be with me at some point and just go do whatever you're going to do. Um, he, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, your, your, your time is done and there'll be new leaders that come up and you can just kind of coast until you die. He said, you're old. However, what does he say? There's still very large areas in the land to be taken over. In other words, don't use an excuse that you're too old. 
you don't retire from the kingdom. I know that American culture says that you get to an age of retirement, you do all the retirement things, and that's fine. You can stop working. I just need some more time for the kingdom. And I love when older folks catch that and they still have the joy and delight to work in the kingdom. I love the story of Caleb, who's this old man among all these young men, because you know his generation, except for he and Joshua, missed out because of their grumbling and complaining. And God says that entire generation, because of grumbling and complaining, will not inherit the, the promised land. But Caleb, here's Caleb and Joshua. Caleb, because Caleb said, I, you know, I, I, "I'm ready. Let's go." And here he is, about 85, and he's running to the hill country. The hill country is the hardest ground to take, but it had been promised to him. So Doug gave me a picture a couple of years ago, about a year ago, and, and I, because I've been just struck with this story, and, 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 and only Doug can do, but it's this old man, and he's got all these young guys running, give me the hill country, it's mine, I'm, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. What is he saying? I'm old, but I'm not dead. Until I die, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to inherit what God's called me to inherit. Don't make the excuse that you're too old. You may not have the energy you once had, but what can you do? Who can you love? Who can you pray for? Who can you write a note to? Who can you encourage? What does Paul say to the older, older men and women were commanded to mentor and teach and train the younger people in Godliness? You're called. Be mothers and fathers in the faith. We live in a day and age where there's fatherlessness and Parents are struggling, and we need the people in the older generation to love and to come alongside. And, and their struggles back then can be the same struggles. What were the struggles for the older people then? What kept them? Grumbling, misery, and complaining. And if we're not careful, when we get to a certain age, we can run in that too. But God give us Caleb's and Joshua who will say, I will advance the kingdom. I'm going to love and serve and love and come alongside the younger generation and advance the kingdom. In closing, how do we live on mission? Let's look at the last one. Let God use what you have. I love this exchange. Here's the Lord said to Moses, What do you have in your hands? What do you have? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a stake and he ran from it. The Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it out of the staff. So Moses reached out. Hand took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff. And so this said the Lord, this is that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Taylor's going to queue up a video that we're going to watch as they close in a minute. We live on mission with God by what we give Him, what we have. Moses' staff seemed like a trivial item, right? He's a shepherd. It's, you know, it's, it's just this thing that we always went around with. And God says, you know, Moses making all these excuses. God says, just give me what you have. God uses the ordinary things of life to work through. And a lot of times we're looking for that grand thing that God is. Well, God's called me, you know, on a mission to advance the kingdom. So that means He wants me to do a, have a big, gigantic ministry. Or he wants me to go on a mission trip. He might call you to do that. And that, that. That'll be between you and God to be obedient. 
But a lot of times we look to those things that we missed out on that which is right around us. God says, what, what do you have in your possession? Look, look around you. I've placed you where I've placed you sovereignly. And I've ordained it. Don't miss out on what you have right in front of you. What do you have that you can give to him? Where can you serve? Who in your life needs to be loved and encouraged? Because that, that person can be like the staff and the staff. And Moses, probably the last thing he's thinking about is the staff and the rest It's the very thing that you have in your hand. The truth is you can miss out on the very thing that's right in front of you. Can you encourage someone? Can you give to someone? Can you bake a meal for someone? Can you write someone a note? Do something kind for someone in need that's around you. Pray for someone intensely. Invite someone over. Is there a co-worker? Is there a friend? Someone in your sphere of influence that you can love and serve in a, in a very real way. See, so, you know, we can go in our lives and we can just miss on what God has called us to do. We're looking for great things, grand things, and that's just the great thing that's right in front of you. The people in your life are here by God's design. The people that you run into every day, the people that you work next to, the people that you come across on a regular basis, it's all by God's design. Just place them there. Let God use that. Do we really believe that we're at this place in history because God ordained it? What will we do with what we've been given? What will we do with the time that we've been given? How do you want to finish? Well, keep your eyes open. I'm going to watch a video clip. Um, some of you guys probably heard about.